Okay. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Blowosphere. Today we will be discussing the outro. Shut up! Oh my god! That's why it takes forever, isn't it? Yeah. The podcast description is three idiots in a closet. I need to ask all of you. Welcome to episode two of the Blobosphere. Today, I'm gonna start us off with a simple phrase. I'm not creative. I'm sure all of us have heard it anywhere and everywhere. But what is creativity? Is it this zero-sum, you either have it or you don't quality that only a few have? Why do we say we either are or aren't creative? Is it innate or can it be developed? And if it can be developed, well, how do you do it? Joining us today to talk about these and more questions are Scarlett Bailey, a Mexican-American visual artist and muralist whose work explores themes of identity and belonging, and Diana Siegel, the former art director of Repentino magazine who's fresh from a brief stint in Denmark and will be studying at London College of Communication next year. Welcome Scarlett, Diana, it's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Thank you. So. Our first question today is what is creativity? But before we define it, let's look at how people in the past conceptualized it. Ancient Greece had really no concept of creativity. The closest verb, poiein, or to make, is the word from which poetry is derived, but it's still not close enough. In fact, Plato, when asked whether he thought the artist made something, he answered, certainly not, he merely imitates. To the ancient Greeks, making art of any kind was not about creating, but rather imitating. The Greek conception of art can be best summarized in the Platonic term mimesis, the imitation of nature or life, hence why all of the Greek tragedies are drawn from mythology, and why the Iliad is drawn from allegedly historical events. These are things that the Greeks knew, or thought they knew, and were just imitating. So creativity was not really a form of expression, and rather it was just a form of interacting with the world around you to better understand it. The romance went a little further. To them, creativity could occur when a god momentarily took control of your body to express some divine project through you. And this they called Führer. It wasn't until the Renaissance that creativity began to be seen as a function of man. Um, during the Renaissance, the, the humanistic focus they had going on was a really like a departure from the divine and turned into a human-centric view of the world and its processes. This led to creation being perceived as originating from the abilities of man as an individual and not from some divine inspiration that a god bestowed on you. And here the concept of a polymath arose as well, um, or a renaissance man, as it is more commonly known, um, an individual that is in ceaseless courtship with knowledge and creation. Then, by the Age of Enlightenment, and this is the final step, creativity became linked with the concept of imagination, and especially related to aesthetics. So currently we think of creativity as the usage of imagination or original ideas to produce or create something new or valuable. And though it's more generally associated with artistic production, it applies to anything from art to jokes, problem solving and mechanical inventions. But because we don't want to turn the blobosphere into an audible dictionary, let's ask our guests who are both well versed in what creativity is and how it's expressed. Oh man, this is an epic, epic question that I think just as the times have said will always evolve and will society will always have a different perspective of how we see it. For me, principally, creativity is solving a problem. It's not necessarily sitting down to paint or sitting down to draw. It's also addressing a need. So in my case, 
my creativity is painting and drawing because I have this urge and this passion and this burning inside and I'm not happy if I'm not painting and drawing. But creativity can manifest itself in so, so many ways. You know, creativity could be, okay, I'm going to the market. How am I going to get my fruit from the market to my house? All right, let's make a basket. Let's figure out how to transport things. Or how are we going to get from point A to point B? Let's invent airplanes. So I think it goes across the board. And I think one of the things that scares people from creativity and why suddenly this word creativity could give people the heebie-jeebies is this misconception that creativity is this supernatural mystical happening when really it's something that we live and experience day to day and I think every single human has a drive to be creative and it's just manifested in a different way. I agree I think that creativity is not only this thing that comes to you once in a while and it's like this great force of inspiration I think that creativity is definitely something you tap into at least for me like it does exist all the time but maybe in small instances but I don't think it's limited it's like this like force that you tap into and it exists at all times and is like there for everyone and saying that it exists for everyone I mean that you don't have to be like a creative person or an artist to be able to be creative I agree I totally agree but do you think like there's any sort of relationship between your creativity and your personal background like I know there's the old at least in writing there's the old adage like write what you know but I find that in my case I have the most fun writing things that I have absolutely no idea like how they are. I have had the most fun writing about, you know, Victorian English characters, about, you know, this astronaut character, about college professors, which obviously is a medium that I haven't even, you know, stepped foot in. So this sort of pulling from my own background in at least the explicit sense, that doesn't happen for me. But Scarlett, I know your work pulls from your Mexican-American heritage and is sort of a cultural reconnection amidst, you know, globalization and what that means for culture worldwide. So what about you? Is there like a connection between your creativity and your personal background? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think that the advice to write what you know or create what you know is the perfect takeoff, especially if anyone is struggling with their creativity right now. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. We have it all up here. And with my work, you know, I do work a lot based on my personal experiences and my goal. It's funny because it is, I am painting what I know, but I'm also painting what I wish I had, or it's almost this process of trying to rescue a lot of things that were lost in my family narrative. Um, you know, I was born in Texas to a Mexican-American family. My grandma was born in Ciudad Juarez. And because I grew up on the other side of the border, you know, very much inside of my house was so Mexican, but outside the house was this very performative American only speak English style of life and so I felt this constant divide where it jolted me into an extreme identity crisis where I never felt entirely Mexican, I never felt entirely American and the problem with that crisis was that I never felt like I belonged inside of my house and I never felt like I belonged outside of my house. So my art 
is reaching for signs and symbols and memories from my childhood and recreating it and making it my own so that I can create my own narrative and illustrate what belonging means in my own way instead of having the world define who I am. I could show the world this is who I am and this is what belonging means to me and this is what my identity is and hopefully even though it is very personal what I'm creating I think that this uh, authenticity will hopefully inspire viewers of my art to consider their own situation and narrative and and feel that warm fuzzy feeling of belonging as well and the question like oh you know I didn't see it that way I love this now I could sort of I could shift my perspective on and how I'm seeing the world as well. You know, that's that's really my my goal with my art. So to answer your question, yes, I'm working with what I know, but I'm just also trying to figure out how to know what I know. That's definitely super powerful. Um, Diana, what about you? Does your personal background sort of bleed into your art? Definitely. I think in my case, like I was born in like a pretty artistic family both my parents are art historians and so um i like basically grew up in galleries and in museums with my mom and i think for me it's an intrinsic part of like my identity and why i create what i make and like i definitely think that if i didn't have this upbringing my life would be entirely different of course like i wouldn't have chosen this creative path and in my personal work my creative process is very much linked to my upbringing and my parents background and everything and about what you said about write what you know i think you said like um that you enjoy writing about for example victorian england in order to write about that you need to learn a bit about that so i'm very much a believer that having something you know doesn't mean you have to experience it technically just I think being an observer is very much a quality of being creative. I like that. I think it's like it's justifying my binging Downton Abbey to like really get that Edwardian England feel. I, you know, I feel more like validated in that regard now. <laughs> yeah. um, now I'm going to ask you about a concept that really entered the mainstream or like the meme stream because I saw it like being memed everywhere. Um, when Kanye West tweeted back in 2016, like you have distracted from my creative process and one of his like barrage of tweets that were strangely popular or like strangely frequent back then. I think it was about like Wiz Khalifa, Amber Rose. I don't even remember. Like there was beef there. <laughs> but I, I don't remember hearing that phrase creative process used with such liberty before. And I seem to be hearing it everywhere now. So the first model of like the creative process emerged in 1926 in like a book called Art of Thought, um, where the author Graham Wallace theorized that there were five steps to the creative process. The first is preparation, where like your mind prepares to tackle a problem or focuses on the problem, sort of explores its dimensions, you know, how far you can stretch it. The second phase is incubation, which is when the problem is internalized into your unconscious mind, even if nothing seems to be happening 
Then the third part is intimation, when you get the feeling that a solution is coming. The fourth is illumination or insight, where you get, you know, the idea bursts from your pre-conscious mind and you are now consciously aware that this idea is what you're going with. And then the fifth step is verification, where the idea is constantly, you know, elaborated upon, built upon, applied to different scenarios, um, maybe changed or transformed to fit them. So does this highly technical, you know, definition look at all like your creative process? And, you know, if yes, if no, what is your creative process? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, take it away, Deanna. <laughs> I think that it's very fun to like look at this version of the creative process and like link it back to scientific process. Because I kind of like looked at both side by side to see like how they compare and they're very much similar and for me that's something very strange because the creative process isn't something like linear with steps with you know the definitive break between when you think of something and when that generates a problem in your mind that you're gonna try to solve through art like for me it's just like a mess of things and always like observing and receiving information and then from there having these instances of like creativity then then I could follow or I could lose and maybe it's not as important to follow. Sometimes I think like I have these urges of wanting to write down every single creative idea I have just so that I don't lose them because I'm kind of a hoarder. But then if I don't and I just lose them and I forget about them, I kind of think that it's, I don't know, it wasn't meant to be, it, like I wasn't meant to follow that creative path. And so for me, it is like a like an interesting way to break down a creative process, but it's, I don't think it has like any relation to what happens in my brain. Yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> I love making this connection from Kanye West to the history of the creative process, you know, and if I could rephrase Kanye West, I'd be like, coronavirus, you are killing my creative process. But I think it's interesting to go back and consider really when the ice was broken on the creative process in art history, which I think, um, you know, it's kind of funny now that I'm sort of in this creative roadblock. I've been going back and listening to lectures and kind of having this uh, reconnection with my art history side. And it wasn't until really the expressionists the modernists in at the end of the 20th century in France where so much more focus was placed on the process of your creation rather than the final product and for artists there was this sudden need that I think was addressing a problem in society I think that art at this time was all about celebrating the republic and glorifying the republic and making the the government look really great and artists were like you know what there is this problem i have a need to address it i'm going to start painting with freer brushstrokes with less realistic colors because i'm i want to capture the emotion of this moment and the feeling of this moment instead of create a hyper real document of what is is happening here. I think that the story that we have to tell is what are we feeling? How, what is our reaction? So, you know, guys like Monet and Degas 
open this, which now it's really funny because we might think that this Impressionist movement is super kitsch now, but they were really pioneers in, in shifting artists' perspectives and how we're going to manifest our creative process. And other really great artists like the Neo Dada movement in New York uh, and the abstract expressionists like Jasper Johns and Elaine de Kooning were all about it was their process and you know you see cigarettes in the painting and handprints and I, I mean this is process in terms of aesthetic but for me I think seeing how other artists have created a product informs my creative process and how I approach and and seeing this um this mindset inspires my own creative process I will say, yeah, you know, my actual creative time in the studio where I'm actually producing something is very minute, you know. My creative process begins just with what Diana was saying by observing and being still and reading the news and and just absorbing and, and I am also a hoarder of ideas like Diana and I, I love that. Um, because in the moments where you actually feel like being creative, you might have totally forgotten what you wanted to make. And I too have to go back at a list of things that I thought were relevant at some point in time and then explode on that. But I think because of these great artists that helped us place value on our human experience, that inspires me to, to really observe and, and sponge it all up for my creative process. Yeah, and I like, like this idea of going back as I think of my own creative process and how I create, like, what I do is, like, when I, you know, get the idea for, like, a story, I'll sort of chart out the main plot points that I want, like, I know this has to happen and I know this has to happen. And the rest for me is just fill in the blanks. I like to zoom out and sort of see where was I going initially with this? Like, what's the big idea here? And am I getting too far from that? Um, so yeah, this idea of going back, checking your work, what was important to you at the beginning or at another time is definitely something that I think is a part of the process and that makes it be non-linear. For me, it's weird because I do that same like process where you like plot out the points, but like with art pieces and design pieces and I do that visually. So like I, I'll sketch it all out and like add, of course, like pictures and phrases and things and like references to other artists and I love, like, whenever I have to present my art, I love putting scans of those sheets next to my art so that people understand where that, like, final thing came from. And recently, when I was in Denmark in that school, we had, like, an art exhibit and we had to make self-portraits. And I hated my self-portrait. It was horrible. It wasn't what I wanted. But, like, interestingly enough, I liked my process better than the actual piece, which is something that often happens with my work. And when people went into the little room and like looked at all the portraits uh, and afterwards they came out and, and like told me about mine they like most of them talked about how they liked that I put the, the process next to it so that they can understand how I got from an idea to what they see as a final thing. Yeah, and I like that, like the process becoming the art itself, especially in our Repentino magazine thingy, I remember especially a few pieces like Bacalmendra, which was really just a chain of emails that somehow turned into a short story and like 
got an award, but that's so weird to me. Like the fact that, you know, a chain of emails is considered art by the, you know, the, the place that gave it the award. This, I don't know, process becoming art is definitely very postmodern, but I really dig it for some reason. Mm. So, you know, if you had to sum up your creative process in one word or phrase, what would it be? Like mine would be fill in the blanks because, you know, I like filling in the blanks between plot points, but what would yours be, Scarlett? Creeper. (laughs) Honestly, before I'm starting any project, especially, for example, the mural that I painted in Central de Abasto, I must observe, I like to sort of just show up to where I am supposed to be painting this mural and kind of hide and and creep literally in in a corner and just watch how the world is moving around me and pick up on what are the idiosyncrasies what are the special things about this place that perhaps people who are so in it might not see it because it's become so uh, so mundane yeah mm-hmm. and and so yeah that my <laughs> My process is creeping. It's it's creeping on people. Uh, it's creeping on myself and my own thoughts. And and through that observation, gleaning out nuggets of of what what are the parts of the story that haven't been told, or what are the parts of the story that haven't been celebrated in the way that they should have. Yeah. Diana, your word, phrase? I mean, it's two words, but it would be like unconscious hoarding. I don't know how I consume things and how I look at the world. It's like very much like I want to keep a piece of everything. And I do come from a family of like literal hoarders. So I think that's like engraved in my brain. Creativity always stems from observing and keeping and developing an idea you have into something else or drawing from inspiration like which kind of is on the line between stealing and like borrowing but just taking all these pieces of from everything in order to like make one piece one of my big like passions and like what i see myself doing in the future is um since i'm going to study art direction i really want to get into film and the reason why i want to get into film is literally the like the sole reason why i want to do it it's less about story, which is kind of not great, and I think I should develop that part of my brain. But it's more about like a film being like a house to like encompass and hold everything that I would want to keep. And so my love for furniture design and my love for music and um, lettering could all be put together in one thing, and that would be film. That's really cool. I, I would like love to watch a Diana Siegel film. Me too! Like, aside from the existing ones. Um, okay, so now we're gonna get to what I like to call the gusto portion of the podcast. And I call it this because I love Ratatouille. I cry for some reason every time I watch it. Um, <laughs> and this idea, you know, like the chef being anyone can cook. Um, can anyone be creative? Like, there's people that maybe it might be a little bit more hard for. So, do you think creativity is something you're born with? I, I think we're all born creative. Uh, you know, my family works in the sciences. I was kind of the weirdo that came out and was telling my my mom, who's an accountant, my dad, who does nuclear medicine. I was like, well, I'm gonna be a painter. 
And their response was, how, why, where, who, you're going to be broke, you know, all of the typical noise uh, that's trying, it's the man trying to make less artists out there, you know. Um, And I think that, all right, so if we're going to take this as a truth that everyone is born creative, then why are people scared of creativity or why do people say, I'm not creative? And I actually have many times said, I'm not very creative. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm working with a client and they're asking for a drawing and if they don't give me any direction, I feel like not creative. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not really good at pulling from nothing to just like create something out of nothing. I, I need, um, tell me a story, tell me a story to get the wheels turning so that I could start visualizing something and then take it from there. So I do think that we need references and I think what scares people away from this word creativity is once we attach expectations to our creativity then we feel scared of being creative. And it's just like Deanna was saying with her self-portrait that she absolutely loved the process but hated the product. And I think that if we can change that chip and place value on that joy that the creative process brought us, then we're being creative and we're great painters perhaps. And I think it takes a sense of fearlessness to be creative because you have to be experimental and you have to take risks and I guess in some ways you have to be mentally strong because you have to be okay with failing sometimes and you have to be you know put your creativity in the driver's seat and put your ego in the back seat and enjoy the ride and don't worry if that final product doesn't necessarily look like what you envision in the mind's eye, you know. The process informs how you will flow as an artist and with each product that you take on, that is gonna inspire you and that will inform how how you carry on as, as an artist, as a chef, as a astronaut, you know, as a writer. So I, I think that it's important for us to take creativity off of that pedestal a little bit. I agree. I think my worst moments are when I let my ego be the critic of my art because definitely in most projects that I do, I feel that my like initial view for things and the final product do not match. And most times like I'm okay with that final product being different because it's part of the process. But I think the times where I most dislike my art were when, I, when I'm not feeling uh, content with it is when I have this set feet, like idea of what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's very much society in general uh, trying to put this pressure on us and scare us away from from going deep and, and being experimental, you know. It's, from a political perspective, it's hard to control a bunch of artists and I think <laughs> There's all these fears that are coming at us from every direction in terms of like, oh, well, financially, or you're going to be a failure. And we have to really quiet all that noise because it's not really, it's it's coming from some weird constructed place that is is what scares people out of, uh, of being creative. And I mean, I have not mastered putting my ego in the backseat. I am like working on it every day. <laughs> yeah. 
Definitely. Same here, especially when like you're concerned with the transcendence of your work. Like, is this gonna be something people like? Which I think is really easy to get lost in. Already thinking from the get-go, like, I want people to, you know, say that I'm a really good writer when they read this thing I wrote. And I don't know, that can either be, I don't know, like, I guess a motivator sometimes, but also a huge, huge roadblock. So, you know, how do you personally get over roadblocks in your creativity? For me, personally, with that one, I think it's very strange having grown up with an audience, by, by which I mean, like, growing up with social media in which at any point you have even, like, a small audience to, like, look at your work. And even though that may sometimes be a motivator because you are sharing your art and you are putting it out there and then, like, people may like it, people may, like, comment on it. But then that also becomes a block because... Sometimes I'm like, oh, I want to uh, make this thing, but if I post it, people will think it's strange. And then that leads me to like not want to do things that I'm not comfortable with. Many artists have made some of their best work when they were unknown. And I'm not saying I'm known like whatsoever, but mm -hmm. just the fact that I have people who know what my art is, is so strange to me. Like I... I don't know, the topic of fame is something that I'm like very scared of. I don't know, I, I think about this photographer called Alex Soth and how some of his best projects and like his best like photo books were from when he was not known at all and he was just like driving around uh, the Mississippi River or like Niagara Falls when no one knew his work, no one like knew his photographs and he could just take a step back from life and like go into his creative process and be out for months. For sure, for sure. I think, well, I have to be honest. I right now am in probably one of the hugest creative roadblocks of my life because I'm having to reevaluate how I share my work. And I've had this really hardcore epiphany that I've fallen into this slippery slope as a professional artist, really depending on the reaction of people to um, motivate my next work. And now I'm having to return to the fundamentals of my art making and really learn how to place value on the joyful part of creativity. And I think this is my homework right now to get over my personal creative roadblock. Um, I think this is something so many artists experience and one of my absolute heroes is Tim Burton and I had the super exciting opportunity to collaborate with uh, the Tim Burton Expo in, in Mexico City and we got to attend the Tim Burton Masterclass which I was geeking out the whole time and he says as long as you like what you're doing you have one fan and as long as you have one fan you have something that is valuable and right now this is what i'm working on this is the the homework that quarantine has has dealt me and i'm really excited about it because i feel like it's a return to innocence a little bit uh, so for all the people out there who are struggling with their creativity first of all you need to know you're not alone and i think that the demons of our mind often make us feel so isolated when we're struggling with creativity like we're the only ones and we're failures and no no this is that struggle is exactly part of the creative process and that is what will 
throttle you into an amazing creative product. So just kind of like sit with that discomfort of not feeling creative and and don't force it. And if you are sitting and looking at your blank screen and you're stuck with this writer's block or creative block, change up your activity and just let it flow. If you're having trouble being creative, sit down for 15 minutes and do some sort of creative practice. It doesn't have to be hours. It doesn't have to be days or weeks. It doesn't have to be residency. Get it out however you feel like it. And and you will see that that will grow and build and, and evolve. I like that. And I think we've sort of touched on everything. So I'm going to leave us off with the question, you know, how do you get started being creative? What would you recommend for someone who's trying to get started? To get started, a notebook and a pen or a pencil for whatever creative realm you're working in. That is where you will jot down your ideas and you go back to this notebook and that is your resource and reference to create something because the stars do not always align where inspiration hits at the same time that you feel like making something. So I think it's great to have this record uh, uh, to fall back on ready at all times. Yeah, I very much agree. I'm like, like I said, I, I very much hoard ideas and I write everything down. And so now I'm at a point in my life where I don't trust either like digital, like writing notes digitally, because I have this feeling that they'll like disappear. And also I feel that if I write them down on paper, the notebook can disappear. So I'm at the point where I kind of write things both in a notebook and I send myself emails because I kind of feel like emails are these weird permanent things that can't really be deleted. And so definitely the place to start is collecting, whether it be ideas or moments or things you saw or something you overheard or just like, I very much agree with the fact that big ideas come from the smallest of the interactions and observations and also for me, it's studying others' processes and others' histories. Like, I don't know, watching a video of the inventor of the theremin, like using a theremin with classical music makes me want to write a mu movie about Soviet Russia. I don't know, just like observing and internalizing things. I like that thought that to create is to collect. And so I'm going to leave us off with that thought. For our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Blobosphere. You can find Scarlett's art at scarlettbailey.com or follow her on Instagram at scarlettbailey. We will include this information in the episode description so you can find it more easily. You can find Diana's art on Instagram at, at dianseif, which is, you know, D-I-A-N-S-I-E-F, or on Vimeo at vimeo.com slash as for where you can find us, it brings us great pleasure to announce that we've just printed Repentino Volume 9, the trans edit compiled over 2020. So if you contributed to the magazine with your art, your writing, or your support, you're already on our list. If you would like to receive a print copy, please email us at repentino at asf.edu.mx so we can jot you down. We have limited copies, so make sure to email fast. We can guarantee this is not an edition you'll want to miss. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Blobosphere, and we hope that no matter where you're listening from, you're staying creative.
The Blobosphere is a production of Repentino Magazine of Mexico City, written, recorded, and produced entirely by high school students. It is hosted by Alejandra Diaz Pizarro. Cover art is originally by Ariano Jara, with variations by Scarlett Bailey and Diana Siegel. Our theme was created using Blob Opera by Google Arts and Culture. Sound editing is done by Melanie Hurtado, featuring music from SRO, Chat Crouch, Blue Dot Sessions, Black Ant, Data Panic, McCall, and Kevin McLeod. Recording was done in three different Zoom-connected studies with varying degrees of network connectivity. You can find Scarlett and Diana's art using the links in the episode description. And don't forget to submit to our 2021 edition. Our theme is Aftermath, and anything goes. If you need some inspiration, our previous episode might be of some help. For submission instructions or any other artistic ideas you'd like to share with us, you can contact us at repentino at asf.edu.mx or via Instagram at asf underscore repentino. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in next time. Thank <laughs> you.